I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast, will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's been a dog snoring throughout most of this. Has Douglas been snoring? Yes. I remember you did our podcast and you were talking about your mom and it was really moving and lovely. And then you could just hear this. (laughs) (laughs) Douglas crying. He was so unhappy. (laughs) And I don't think it was empathy. I don't think he was going, oh, Miss Driver, Miss Driver is speaking so movingly. (laughs) I think he was just thinking, I'm bored. I want out of this room. I'm bored. Let me out. What's happening? (laughs) Yeah, I remember you're worried about that. It's so funny. I like dog interruptions very much. It seemed quite disrespectful. (laughs) I think that's entirely in keeping with, like, dogs. (laughs) Hello, I'm Minnie Driver. Welcome to Mini Questions Season 2. I've always loved Proust's questionnaire. It was originally a 19th century parlor game where players would ask each other 35 questions aimed at revealing the other player's true nature. It's just the scientific method, really. In asking different people the same set of questions, you can make observations about which truths appear to be universal. I love this discipline. And it made me wonder, what if these questions were just the jumping off point? What greater depths would be revealed if I asked these questions as conversation starters with thought leaders and trailblazers across all these different disciplines? So I adapted Proust's questionnaire and I wrote my own seven questions that I personally think are pertinent to a person's story. They are, when and where were you happiest? What is the quality you like least about yourself? What relationship, real or fictionalized, defines love for you? What question would you most like answered? What person, place, or experience has shaped you the most? What would be your last meal? 
And can you tell me something in your life that's grown out of a personal disaster? And I've gathered a group of really remarkable people, ones that I am honoured and humbled to have had the chance to engage with. You may not hear their answers to all seven of these questions. We've whittled it down to which questions felt closest to their experience or the most surprising or created the most fertile ground to connect. My guest today is the polymorphous wonder that is Graham Norton. Graham is perhaps best known for his chat show, The Graham Norton Show, um, for the eight books he has written, for the radio shows he presents in the UK, and on and on and on. Because the thing for me that makes him so known is this extraordinary wit and spirit that just runs through every single thing he does. I can't tell you how many times I've been on his show over the years, but it's quite a few. And I will tell you that chat shows can really be a bit uphill. But I long to go on his show because I have never laughed so much in my life. After you've listened to this episode of my podcast, please just Google funny racehorse names, The Graham Norton Show, and you will see me genuinely crying with laughter at the hands of a merciless Graham. It's quite hard to become a national treasure in the UK, but Graham is one and everyone knows it. I always feel better for having talked to him, and this interview right now proved to be no different at all. Where and when were you happiest? I do know this, but I always kind of think, I remember when I was a kid, there was a Peanuts cartoon. I loved Peanuts when I was a kid. But it's kind of weirdly deep for kids. I think it's Charlie Brown and Lucy maybe talking, Charlie Brown and someone else talking. Somebody saying, you know, in every life, one day will be happier than all the other days. And the other little child is going, yes. And then the first child goes, what if you've had it? And as a child, you know, that sort of blew me away because that just seemed the saddest thing in the world, that if you're 11 and you've had your happiest day, the rest of your life is lived out not as good as that. So I think you've got to live your life assuming your happiest days to come. I think that's very smart. Oh my God, it's so existential peanuts, isn't it? Yeah, that is so deep for a little children's cartoon. And it hit me to my core. That just seemed like meaning of life level of <laughs> revelation. <gasps> Happiest day might have happened. The answer to your question is I had a, a wedding weekend this summer in Ireland. Your wedding? My wedding. Yes, my wedding. We got married already, but we had this weekend and, you know, there were party planners and there was this going to happen, this is going to happen. People were flying in. But of course, then the airports were all messed up. COVID was still around. You know, I picked these party planners basically out of the phone book. So they're telling me, oh, yeah, we'll do this. And you're thinking... I hope you do, because <laughs> I've no idea. Anyway, the weekend could not have gone better. We got amazing weather. The moment I was happiest was with my husband, just as the party was drawing to the close on the Sunday, hmm. where, you know, we were surrounded by our friends still. It was a beautiful night. The lights were all in the trees. The music was playing. And it was just I didn't need to worry about how the whole weekend was going to go anymore. I didn't need to worry about the catering or the performers or the weather or people getting there. In that little, probably 15-minute <laughs> window at the end, <laughs> I could just be happy. In that little 
tail end of all the anxiousness and the planning, I felt supremely content and loved and loving and all, all those good things. And all the anxiety and the worry actually qualifies and probably has a huge amount to do with how happy you felt. Yes, actually, you're absolutely right. It is a correlation. All the things that could have gone wrong didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if there are people who, when they die, feel that. Literally, when all the stuff is done, it's like, oh, phew. You know, I'm 98 (laughs) and God, I don't have to do another Christmas. On a different level, I see that with people on my chat show all the time. What do you mean? At the very end, they're really happy. Well, they're kind of very happy, but also disappointed (laughs) because they were worried for the whole show. Sometimes I'll have a, you know, a newbie, someone who's just in their first movie or their first single or whatever. Yeah. And because I'm such an old lag, I've been sat there for donkey's years. And I suddenly realize, oh, oh, you're really nervous. You know, you kind of, oh, you just want to hug them and kind of go, oh, really? You shouldn't be nervous about this. (laughs) Trust me. So many worse (laughs) things are going to happen to you. This is not one of them. Yeah, this is one of the good things. (laughs) Trust me, newbie. This is a highlight. (laughs) Oh, my God. And I feel they were worried for the whole show that it was going to go wrong. Are they going to say something stupid? Or I was going to ask them a weird question or I was going to make them look (laughs) foolish. And then you see them at the end kind of going, oh, I could have just enjoyed that. I could have just let go and enjoyed that. And I wonder if people think that on their deathbed. Like, oh, I was such a fool. Well, I worried about stains on my carpet when I could have just been enjoying the coffee that I spilt on it. You know, it's just that kind of approach to life. When someone who you've loved has died, has that thing become really, really present for you of oh my God, I really am going to let go of worrying about all of that stuff because I've just seen how quickly this is over. Yeah. Like there's a clarifying moment. I felt that when mum died so extraordinarily, like, holy shit, I am never thinking about that thing again. That probably lasted for a, a minute. Yes, I agree with you. I think grief and loss gives you exactly that word, the clarity. It gives you perspective. It goes again. I remember years ago, in my 20s, I got mugged and stabbed and kind of lost over half my blood and ended up in hospital. But I remember when I was in hospital, and maybe it was just the drugs I was on or something, I don't know. But I just remembered feeling like I knew everything. Hmm. I felt like in that moment, having survived that, I felt like I could have, you know, Palestine, Israel, come sit by my bed. I will... (laughs) I'll solve this because I have this kind of huge wisdom. Uh, Like I say, it was probably the drugs. But equally, I do think there's something about extreme things like that, like grief, like loss, for a moment, as you say, like the window shuts again. In that moment, you know everything. But do you remember, this is so showbiz, but do you remember when Kim Cattrall and Sarah Jessica Parker had the... Fuck yeah, I remember that. Burned into my memory. Sarah Jessica Parker said something to Kim Cattrall about the brother. Yep, about her brother. And and Kim Cattrall went, you are not my friend. Da, 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 da. And everyone was like, ooh, that's a bit harsh. And I just thought, no, that's a woman in grief. Totally. That's a woman in grief going, oh, you know what? You fuck right out of this. Yes, it's the clarifier. You chop out the people that try to co-opt your brother's death for a tweet or whatever it was. You respond with that clarity of emotion of like, I have no time for this extraneous social contract bullshit nonsense. Yeah. But I also feel like that does, maybe just what we said about the anxiety qualifying the happiness, those moments and that kind of intensity, when I remember it, I feel 
the happiness on the other side of it. I feel how it helped throw into relief what real happiness looked like. But sitting on that beach in Cornwall in the rain when we all complained about the barbecue not lighting and my mum laughed because she had vodka and tonics in, funny enough, a Snoopy, you know, small child's <laughs> drink holder. All that happiness is just more clearly defined by all that worry or anxiety or angst around certain things. And I'm I'm kind of fascinated by that, but that is part of, I suppose, the fundamental duality of being alive. It is, but also I think an extreme thing like that, you know, all that wanging on of living in the moment. Wanging on? <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Because it's like all that wanging on of living in the moment. I totally do. So we, yes, we know we all ought to live in the moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I've got a diary and there's things in it and I'm planning. You know, you just can't. But in that moment, in that profound moment of loss, mm. you are entirely in that moment, I think, where nothing else is going on. It's just that. Yeah. Every book that I'd read on any kind of personal growth or philosophy or religion or whatever I'd read in my whole life, it was so extraordinary. In those moments, and by moments I mean months after mum died, it's like I knew. I knew, just as you said weirdly, I knew everything. I knew all of the things, all of the things that mattered, all of the things that actually held meaning, all of the things that I wanted to let go of. It was so incredibly clear. There's an extraordinary gift in that. There's not much that's good about when your mum dies. And I would only say that just in terms of like observing stuff that happens. But I, I do believe in the, the clarifying power of grief and the definition of happiness. I went to see Gary Barlow from Take That, who, if people are in America, they may not know Take That, but he was a, you know, a young kid in a boy band. And then they disappeared. He had a horrible time. And then they came back and were hugely successful. And he's doing this one-man show kind of his life. And in the second act, he tells this really heartbreaking story about him and his wife losing a baby. The baby is stillborn. And it's so heartbreaking. It's very sad, everyone in the audience sobbing. But he turns it into this positive. The gift that that child gave him was perspective. And the gift that that child gave him was being able to say no to things, not, you know, needing to please people all the time. And that, what you're talking about, the, the happiness on the other side of something, I just think that's, what's that phrase? Collateral beauty around awful things. There is collateral beauty. Will you tell me what relationship, real or fictionalized, defines love for you? Ooh, now, it's fictional, but it was profound when I watched it, and it's still kind of profound, because I think there's a kind of a purity to the love in this, and it's Elliot and E.T. The love between those two, because so much of it's unspoken. So much of it isn't thought about or expressed or figured out or, you know, the way in relationships, there's a kind of a, not a game, but a kind of a dance, a sort of a choreograph thing between you before you get to love and staying in love. And there's something so pure about the love between that little boy and the alien and the fact that, you know, one of them's an alien <laughs> makes it really lovely. And his heart lights up like a bedside lamp. <laughs> you can't get better than that. I mean, I love Jono, but if his heart lit up like a bedside lamp and I could read by it, I... <laughs> I would love it if my boyfriend's heart lit up. Like, I'd be like, oh, God, keep that going. I can turn my phone off. <laughs> I'll just turn this way, darling. Hold on. Yeah, no. Oh, that's lovely. So like a campfire. Oh, 
Also, you know what's beautiful about Elliot and E.T.'s relationship as well is that Elliot, his love doesn't waver when he knows E.T.'s got to go. Yeah. He doesn't sort of stop helping him and it doesn't diminish the love, that notion that one person is going to really lose out. Because I don't think E.T. would really think twice about Elliot after he's gone back home, (laughs) frankly, because home is obviously his passion and what defines love for him. It's all he talks about (laughs) when he does say anything. (laughs) But also, isn't there something about that because E.T. nearly dies? Yeah. So Elliot thinks he's lost E.T. and then he comes back to life. And then I think that allows Elliot to let him go because it's so lovely that he's alive. I don't care if you're alive and not living with me, but I'm so happy you're alive. You're absolutely right. It's a really beautiful, pure expression of unconditional love, that relationship. Yeah, I think you should stop asking this question now because I think I've given the proper answer. I think I've I've solved that question for you. (laughs) I've solved for that. Cross it off. Yeah, it's Elliot and E.T. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Good night. (laughs) Hello, Jamila Jamil here. You may know me from my role in The Good Place or from She-Hulk or from social media and my activism. I Way basically started as a social movement and my podcast is one of my truly greatest achievements. It's a podcast against shame and a place for us to have really honest and truly inclusive conversations. I love connecting with people. I love learning. I have a lot to learn and I'm inviting you along with me. On I Way with Jamila Jamil, I have friends, activists, specialists and absolute heroes join me to teach me from their experience and expertise. People like Conan O'Brien, Jane Fonda, Roxanne Gay, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Byer, Alok, Kelly Rowe, Roland, and more. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil has new episodes out every Tuesday and you can find the show on earwolf.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks. with zero qualifications She had a Harvard plaque tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Okay, so what is the quality that you like least about yourself? Ooh, compromise is a good thing, but I feel I'm a pushover. I feel like I never really stand up for anything. I kind of just go, well, I just roll over. There's a lot of rolling over. And I feel like that's the thing the young me would judge me the most harshly about. I think the young me would be pleased that I was a success and da 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 da. But I think the young me would stare at me going, what? You're going to do that? <laughs> or, you know, what? That's okay. Isn't that like, you know, path of least resistance? Isn't that like a whole kind of philosophy in itself? Isn't that a really amazing thing that you do that? No, see, I don't think it's admirable at all. I look at people with conviction and I am in awe of them. They are annoying, <laughs> but I am in awe of them. That's really interesting. It happens in my personal life too, where, you know, like there's a lot of inner monologue about that shouldn't happen or that da, da, da. but I just don't say anything because it's it's easier but it's not easier but I think it is easier it's easy because it's like the thing is that once you've done it once and you realize the whole world didn't stop and the sky didn't fall in and it was actually fine I think it must then become quite a delicious thing to do which is to maybe not take a position it takes a lot of energy to have conviction <laughs> It does. And like I say, I'm I'm in awe of those people. You know, I feel like, you know, that thing kind of like, oh, that was quite good. Oh, it's fine. That's all right. And you kind of think, oh, why can't something be exceptional? Why can't something be really good? And I feel like I should aim a bit higher in all parts of my life. But I don't. (laughs) don't. Oh, my God. Does John know this about you? (laughs) Oh, no, no. He's my doing well. Yeah, he's my peak achievement. (laughs) My husband is my peak achievement. I think that's lovely. I do know what you mean, but I'm just the complete opposite. I need to stop trying to fight for everything and just getting exhausted and disappointed as opposed to being pleasantly surprised when a few things work out. There must be something in between where you know what battles are worth fighting. My boyfriend's really good at that. He's like, I'm not going to die on that hill. I am going to die on that one, except I'm not going to die. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to plant my flag in the top of that mountain. And then he'll do it. It's quite annoying. So maybe actually my worst quality is that I'm just sort of resentful. (laughs) (laughs) Of his good quality. Of his good qualities. (laughs) My friends just moved into a new apartment and they're having trouble with the neighbour. There's an upstairs neighbour. Oh, no. All these like angry emails going around. And my friend ended one email with, do not fight me. I will win. (laughs) Oh my God. (gasps) That's fantastic. (laughs) I love that. Way to win over your neighbors. Do not fight me. I will win. (laughs) Also, that is a rookie error. Never move in anywhere with upstairs neighbors. It's hard. 
I mean, what a nightmare, poor thing. But downstairs neighbours are terrible too. Neighbours, essentially. Basically, being in a neighbour's sandwich is fucking dreadful. Yeah. I don't know, I would take that into extreme consideration. But yeah, the whole neighbour thing, nightmare. I used to do a like an agony uncle column in a paper here, and I did it for about eight years. And those are the problems I dreaded when people wrote in about uh, neighbours. Because there is no solution. There's no solution except move. Yeah, move. And even then it's hard because if they're noisy or whatever, it's hard to sell your house and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you have to disclose all of that stuff. Yeah, it's monstrous. As if it weren't hard enough trying to find a place to rent or buy in this (laughs) life. Now, what question would you most like answered? I remember, and I'm sure all kids do this, where you lie on the grass and look up. Yeah. And, you know, the clouds move, but you think that's the earth going. And then you look beyond that into the blue. And it's just that, even as an adult, you stop thinking about it. But as a child, that is such a kind of mind fuck. There must be a there there, but there is no there there. It goes on forever. And you think, but it can't go on forever. There has to be, you know, I still don't understand it. But do I want that question answered? I mean, no, because I think it would bore the bejesus out of me. I think, <laughs> I mean, I'd, be, I'd be just like, someone would start explaining to me our place in the cosmos or the concept of infinity. And I would find myself slowly looking away. <laughs> oh, there's someone I know. I wonder what's for dinner. <laughs> Was that my phone? And that is the origin <laughs> of the universe. Oh, cheese toasty. <laughs> You know what? I'm just thinking, the one thing I would quite like to be able to do, I would quite like to be able to read dogs' minds. I know they're probably quite easy to read. You know, can I fuck it? Can I eat it? But I... (laughs) Or could it scratch my tummy? (laughs) Oh, there's that, yes. (laughs) And can I eat that hand or fuck it? I think there's some subtlety going on in there. There's something else going on. So I would quite like someone to tell me what my dog is thinking at all times. I really like that. And that is really true. Wait, can I tell you? Yes. My dog ran away from me at this fair we were at. And I ran through the crowd and I found him with his paws on the shoulders of this woman. And she was like, oh, oh, yeah, oh. Oh, goodness me. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, my dog. And she was like, hi, your dog was just uh, telling me a few things. Like, would you like me to tell you? And I was looking around, what is happening? Anyway, it turned out she was this really famous pet psychic. And my dog told her, she said, you have to get his bed back from the garage. And I'd literally got him a new bed the day before and thrown out his old one. And it was upstairs in the garage where I lived waiting to be taken away. And he told her that. And then the other thing he told her was that my sister used to take him to work and my dog had most of his tail missing from a terrible accident with the door. And my sister's boss used to call him Stubber. His name was Bubba and he used to call him Stumpy Stubber. And he didn't like that. And he told the pet psychic to tell me to tell him to fucking stop calling him that. Wow. It was heaven. They couldn't have known. She couldn't have known that. How could she have known that? We had a pet psychic on the TV show years ago. And this woman, she was literally from the audience and she had a dog. And the dog told the psychic that the woman needs to put carpet back in the bedroom because he can't jump on the bed anymore because he can't get purchase on the wooden floor. And the woman, you I mean, you saw the woman's face. She was just like, honestly, I think she thought we'd broken into her house and <laughs> taken pictures or something because she had just taken up the carpet and put in laminate. Oh, my God. My God. 
And I also love the fact that dogs aren't like, you know, I want you to teach me the secret of the universe and take me on Concord. No. Have you seen that woman on Instagram who thinks her dog can talk to her? Wait, when it hits the buttons? Yeah. Yes, I've seen her a lot. It's fantastic. I like the way if it just hits table and sleep. You dreamt about a table? You dreamt about a table? You were so smart. Well, a major UK supermarket now sells a set of four of those little things. Does it say, fuck, eat? (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, no, you can record whatever you like. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah, we got them for Douglas the dog. And what's Douglas done with them? Nothing. No, of course not. Occasionally he'll walk on one by accident and then we have to <laughs> we have to give him a treat or something. One of them does say treat. Even that one, he hasn't figured out that hitting it will get him a treat. But he's an older dog, so you know, there is a saying about that. Also, it's like, you know, not all dogs are like really smart. <laughs> like I've had very smart dogs and I've had really thick dogs. Like really thick dogs. Some dogs probably aren't chatty. Some dogs don't want to talk to you. <laughs> and they're like, Look, love, there's a whole reason I can't talk. Like, stop trying to talk to me. That's what this life is about. It was about silence, a vow of silence. <laughs> yeah. Look, just feed me twice a day. Like, that was the arrangement. What's the buttons? Stop with the buttons. I, yeah. What's with the buttons? Hello, Jamila Jamil here. You may know me from my role in The Good Place or from She-Hulk or from social media and my activism. I Weigh basically started as a social movement and my podcast is one of my truly greatest achievements. It's a podcast against shame and a place for us to have really honest and truly inclusive conversations. I love connecting with people. I love learning. I have a lot to learn and I'm inviting you along with me. On I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, I have friends, activists, specialists and absolute heroes join me to teach me from their experience and expertise. People like Conan O'Brien, Jane Fonda, Roxanne Gay, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Byer, Alok, Kelly Rowe, Roland, and more. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil has new episodes out every Tuesday and you can find the show on earwolf.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. 
Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, what person, place, or experience most altered your life? I would say San Francisco. I was in a hippie commune in San Francisco when I was 20. And 20 sounds quite old, but I was an Irish 20, which is like in a sort of international 14, let's <laughs> say. And I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I had done two years at university studying French and English, but I wasn't enjoying it. I didn't like being in Cork. And so I ran away. I ran away to San Francisco. Hmm. And through various accidents and alchemy and luck, I ended up in this hippie commune. It's still there. It's still there in San Francisco. Oh my God, how amazing. Just off the panhandle. And I had never met people like this before. People with convictions. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Put me right off. (laughs) Put me off for life. (laughs) But they treated me, you know, they treated me like an adult. There was the the chore wheel and, you know, you, you had to cook one night and I'd have to cook for, you know, 12 people. And I couldn't cook for one. (laughs) Can I just get 12 pot noodles (laughs) and do that for everyone? That's okay, right? And I went back. They had a kind of a 25-year anniversary about, I don't know, 10 years ago. And I went back to see them. And this one woman, she said to me, oh, we still make your soup. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Apparently, I had made some leek and potato soup. Of course, it had potatoes in it. And she still makes it. She calls it Graham soup. But weirdly, that woman, I remember she was studying to be a nurse. And she was, I think she was 40, maybe 41, 42. And she was studying to be a nurse. And I remember thinking at the time, like, like, why would you bother? Like, really? Really, lady? You're training to do something in your 40s? It's too late for you. And I must have said that to her, uh, hopefully not as boldly as that, but I must have questioned starting a new career or being a student in her 40s. And she went, well, if I am a nurse for the rest of my life, I'll have been nursing for 25 years, you know, till her retirement. And I was like, oh, that's, that's longer than I've been alive. I can understand that is a long time. And it gave me, in my little young life, it gave me kind of the gift of time of realizing that in a life, although they go by in a flash, we also have more time than we think we do. 
And I think that's something that young people should know. Don't be in such a rush. You've got time to fail. You've got time to succeed. You've got time to not succeed or succeed at the thing you don't enjoy and then find the thing you do enjoy. You know, when I turned 50, there is a sense, oh, the bike is at the top of the hill and <laughs> the rest of my life is now downhill. But then you realize, oh, no, I'm only 50. Yeah. You know, with a bit of luck, there's decades of this shit left. I better find things to do and find challenges and things that I haven't done yet that I want to get done. So, And that all came from that hippie commune. Don't be scared of failure because actually there's time. I think it was Victor Hugo who said 50 is the youth of old age. Yes. I really, I really like that. And by the way, like when you're in your 20s, I remember thinking I had to get it all done. I didn't even know what that meant. But the amount of time I spent worrying that I wasn't doing enough. It's so interesting. Like if one does think about it, not that time is running out, but rather there is a lot of time. I know it's the exact obverse of the meters ticking. Yes. But also that thing that no time is wasted in a way. No, exactly. That if you find out that you hate doing something. It's going to help define what you do want to do. Yeah. I think that's brilliant for all of us actually to go, you've got a bit more time. You've got a bit more time than you think. Because how old were you when you kind of thought, I've made it? It was for about 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but you thought it. It didn't happen in the moment. It happened when I sort of looked back. I must say that I thought the zenith of like being on the red carpet with my mum and dad at the Oscars when I was nominated for an Oscar, they made it real. Like seeing them right there and like my dad squeezing my hand and not being flustered by any of it. Just seeing him sort of dadding in that insane environment. There was a lot going on that night. But looking back the next couple of weeks, I did go. Actually, it's kind of what you said from the Snoopy cartoon. I was like, I'm not sure it's ever going to get better than that. <laughs> I think I peaked. I think I succeeded. You don't feel that anymore. No, God, no, because that was this barometer that I'd set of what success looked like. Yeah. And once you get rid of that barometer or beautifully or wonderfully, if you're lucky, that life will sort of teach you that, that success and failure are lovers intertwined. One is not bad and one is not good. You have to name them differently. And you really start living. Once I started letting other things into my life that were great and amazing. I remember we had a reunion for drama school. I think it was a 25 or 30 year reunion. And of course, when you're kids at drama school, we were all kind of, you know, teenagers, early 20s. And we only measured success in one way. Success was being a star or having your name up or working in theater or working in film and television. We all, there was a whole group of people, 28 of us or something, and we all had one vision of what success was. And so to meet up 30 years later and realize how diverse success is, yeah, you know, some people were still acting and that was their success. Some people were now artists. Some people had families. Some people had started businesses. You know, there was one woman and she had an illness and she was in remission. So just being there was her success. Because I, I kind of thought, oh, it'll be a weird day because some of these people will be, you know, quotes, failures now. <laughs> and I will be the only true star. They're all going to hate me, Minnie. They're going to hate me. And I felt so stupid because when I got there, I realized, oh, we've moved on. If we got in a little teletransportation device when we were in drama school and went to the future and found out that, you know, a couple of us were still in the industry and doing well, then it would have been a very bitter, <laughs> horrible day. But the fact that you didn't. 
and the fact that we lived all that life in between and you got there and I was so struck by it. Hmm. The people, and it goes, it goes back to time, doesn't it? You know, as you navigate life, you find your joy and you find your successes in all different sorts of ways, as you now know. <laughs> yes. And that, I think we're brutal with our ideas of like really adhering to a notion of what is success and what is failure and being traumatized by this prescribed idea of failing. Failure is so, I, I can't remember the quote. Oh, it's Winston Churchill. I, I'm totally paraphrasing and botching it. But success is enjoying the failures in between failures, like that it's all failing and trying not to and enjoying that process. <laughs> I thought you were going to say success is enjoying the failure of others. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that would be something that would be something that Churchill could also have said. <laughs> yeah, he probably did. He probably did. It was so great. Thank you so much. Thanks for this, Minnie. It's been fun. Graham's fourth novel, Forever Home, is out now. And for our friends in the UK, Graham will be on tour to discuss the book through October 23rd. So if you've enjoyed hearing his musings, and I know you have, please do catch him live. Mini Questions is hosted and written by me, Minnie Driver. Supervising producer, Aaron Kaufman. Producer, Morgan Lavoie. Research assistant, Marissa Brown. Original music, Sorry Baby, by Minnie Driver. Additional music by Aaron Kaufman. Executive produced by me, Minnie Driver. Special thanks to Jim Nicolay, Will Pearson, Addison O'Day, Lisa Castella and Anique Oppenheim at WKPR, Dela Pescador, Kate Driver and Jason Weinberg, and for constantly solicited tech support, Henry Driver. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. 
And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.